my own private prayer and and uh, devotion time, and and I'd finished having that time and had a great time with the Lord and what he was speaking that day. And my, my heart was really on a lot of this kind of thought of it being all about him and truly putting him in his right place in our hearts because so many times there's areas of our lives that we want to wear the crown and he should be wearing the crown in every single area of our life. And as I thought about that, I'd finished my prayer time and my Bible time and I'd gone in the kitchen and, and prepared myself some breakfast and took it in there because that particular morning I, had, I was going to be spending quite a bit of time in front of the computer working on things and doing some writing and some stuff. And, and so I sit down and, and it was just me at the house. And so I, I have a habit sometimes of, of eating in front of the computer so I can kind of work on some things. On. And so I'm, I'm beginning to, this is the atmosphere and I begin to eat my breakfast and just the thought hit me. We can be so caught up with this idea that somehow, because we worked a little bit to earn something, that things we're partaking in is something that we provided for ourselves. And yes, I had taken some of the money that was in our account. I had gone to the grocery store and bought the eggs that I was about to eat and all that kind of stuff. But then it just hit me in that moment. You know what, though? Any talent I had to earn anything, any gifts that Kim had to earn anything, even the chicken that laid the egg I was about to eat was all created at his hand. So how do I have the right to think I earn or deserve anything? It truly is all his. And it's about serving him. It's about, you know, Jesus said that, that he came to be the servant of all. How many know that he came to be an example? There's an incredible story in Scripture where the disciples are all gathered together and Jesus himself grabs a towel and puts it around himself and begins to wash their feet. If he came to be a servant, how can I not be a servant? How can I be, not be thankful for everything? So this morning, we've been walking through the last couple of weeks on our core values for the church. It's been a while since we visited them. And, you know, first of all, as you know, encounter God is number one. You know, what's the point? If we're not, if we're not meeting together to encounter God, if we're just meeting here to have some kind of a social club or whatever, then what is the point? This should be a place where we encounter God. This should be a place where other people come in and they encounter God and there's life-transforming circumstances. So we talked about that the first week. We talked about how then John chapter 14, 23, Jesus himself said, if you do these things, he's talking about he and his father, he said, we will come and we will make our home with him. And we talked about how we want to be a place that we want him to make his home here. Then last week we talked about our second one, which is embracing people. You know, we must embrace people so they can embrace Jesus. How will they ever reach the place that they would consider surrendering 
their life to Christ and having a God encounter if they can't stand an encounter with God's people. We have to be a people that embraces others. So today I'm going to be talking about our next logical step. And as I begin to think about that, my mind went back to a a story I'd heard years ago that, that I thought summed this up so perfectly. There's a family that actually went on a trip to Germany. And while they were in Germany, you know, if, if you're like anybody, you know, when you go somewhere like that, you see sites and things, but usually there's a little bit of shopping involved, right? There's usually something we like to bring back. And so they were in this store in Germany, and as they walked around, they saw this, of all things, a toaster that was unlike any toaster they had ever seen. I mean, just the design, the, the beauty of it, the way it was put together, and the color schemes. I mean, it even matched the color schemes they had in their kitchen back home. And they said, this toaster would just look beautiful in our kitchen. So they bought the toaster. So when the trip was over, they packed it all up, and they brought the toaster back home. And they couldn't wait to get home and, and hook it up in their kitchen and all that. And all of a sudden, as they, as they show up in their kitchen and they, they realize that the plug on the end of the toaster was not going to plug into the outlets they had in their kitchen. But the toaster was beautiful. It fit everything perfect. I mean, it was going to be the most incredible-looking toaster they had ever seen in their kitchen. So they thought it was worth the money to go get a power adapter to hook up to the toaster to plug it into the power in their kitchen. And so they went and did that. So they get it all hooked up. They plug the toaster in. They put some bread in the toaster. They push the lever down, and they're waiting for that warm smell of toast. And they waited for the warm smell of toast. And they waited for the warm smell of toast. And there was no toast. Something was wrong with the toaster. But there's no way they could take the toaster back. So they had this toaster that looked beautiful in the kitchen, but it didn't make toast. So what are we going to do with the toaster? Well, what's the point of having a toaster sitting in the kitchen that's not going to toast any toast? A little big for a paperweight. Would rust and look goofy out in the yard as a lawn ornament. You could use it as a doorstop, but that'd be kind of weird. It was a toast. It was a toaster that could not produce what it was made to produce. How many people are running around that claim to be followers of Christ yet are not producing what Scripture says we should produce? They were not fulfilling the very thing we were created for. You know, I really think that's something we ought to think about. Because there's things, there's many things in our lives that if it doesn't fulfill the purpose for which it was made, we consider it useless. Now, I'm not saying that God considers us useless. I'm just saying this morning that as we get into our third point as a church, that there is something about when we experience service for the Lord. There's something about when we step in, we roll up our sleeves, and we serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Because there are many that, that claim to follow Jesus, but they don't do the very thing they were created for. You see, every one of us has a purpose. We were created of a pur- for a purpose. But if we're not fulfilling that purpose, no wonder we're going through life feeling empty and void and like we can't find, you know, and, and I hate to use this, but in the terms of, of Mick Jagger as a theologian, I can't get no satisfaction. I can't find what I'm looking for. I mean, we hear that all over the world around us. And the truth is that there are people that haven't fulfilled the very thing they were created for. So no wonder we don't have purpose. See, far too many of us act as if somehow God created us and he dropped us here on this earth and he redeemed us. And we take when he said, occupy till I come, is finding things just to fill our days until he returns. That's not the meaning of the word occupy there. We're supposed to be occupying ourselves with his business. See, we're placed here by God and saved by Jesus for a purpose. Each of us has a mission in life. You know, last week we walked through Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and how that he talked about us becoming one and all that he prayed for, even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he prayed for all of us that would be saved through the ministry of the apostles. I left one verse out, verse 18 of John chapter 17. He says this, And you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. Now that's something he was praying over us as believers. I love, you know, I, I have my preferences, preferences of, of translations, but in this one, I love how the message interprets this. It says in, the, in John 17, 18, it says, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I gave them a mission in the world. See, I'm afraid we, we, we seldom we realize how sent we are and how that we are saved for God-given task. And we can find purpose in this life when we fulfill the design that he created us for. That's how you can receive joy that can't be quenched. I... I You know, yes, there's stuff that comes with being a pastor. You hear everybody's opinion on everything. But yet I wouldn't trade it for anything because it is the most fulfilling and the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life because not because it's a cushy situation but because I know I'm standing in the middle of the king and kings, king of kings and lord of lords. I'm standing in the middle of his will and there's fulfillment in that. So today we're talking about experiencing serving. Here's a statement I want you to hold on to. We look for fulfillment in being served, but we find fulfillment in service. We'll say that again. We look for fulfillment in being served. We find fulfillment in service. 
I mean, no, it's easy to run around saying, oh, I need this, I need that, and we go and try this place and that place, and I can't tell you how many times through the course of the years I heard, well, I'm just not being fed there. Well, maybe it's because you're supposed to be helping to feed others. I'm just saying. You see, we desire to be fulfilled, yet too many are living life without purpose. So this morning, I want to take a little bit of time and I'm going to expose three of Satan's biggest lies that rob us of fulfillment. And it's the fulfillment that we all desire down deep in our souls to a person. I ask you this morning to be patient with me because some of these lies I'm about to expose, probably some of you have bought into some of that. But let me finish where I'm going and I think you'll see this is right and accurate. Number one, lie number one, tipping the deeds scale. There are people that think somehow in order to be saved, they must do just enough good works that their good stuff outweighs their bad stuff. And if they can tip the scale in just the right, I'm good. And because of that, you see people that in their lives, they, they, they know that there must be more. They kind of feel this desire and this drawing to, to find a place to get plugged in. And they, and they go, but, but yet, guess what? The minute that we start sitting our eyes on God, guess what comes along? The enemy wants to lie and say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not good enough yet. You still got some things you need to work on before you even think about that. Now, when you get this, 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 and this all together, then let's talk about stepping into a church and getting involved. Let me tell you something. Nowhere does it tell us that we have to get ourselves cleaned up before we approach Christ. Cleaning is his job. As I said a couple of weeks ago, if you have a ailment that you know is going to lead to lead to death do you wait till you get well before you go to the hospital no you go to the place where you can get help to get well but the enemy loves to tell us that lie don't no don't don't go there don't go do that you you know you, there's some things you got to do first well, Ephesians 2 8 9 Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, our good deeds will never open the door for salvation. Never. It will never help us find fulfillment. But that never seems to stop us all from asking the same question that you hear so often. People ask the question, what must I do to be saved? We can't do to be saved. Now, the story in the Bible that I want to draw attention to 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 lay out what I'm what I'm talking about here this morning is that, you know, and 
the apostles were in Philippi and, and, and they had been walking around and, and, and Paul and Silas were there and, and there was this lady there, there was this fortune teller and everywhere she, they went, she kept following them around and it wasn't what she was saying was wrong. She was saying, listen to these people. They're, they're telling the word of the Lord and, but, and, you know, which is accurate, they were. But how many know that something can even be accurate and can be a distraction from what God's trying to do? So you can imagine where they were going. They're trying to, to meet people. They're trying to teach. They're trying to preach. And this lady is constantly yelling this out. And so finally, Paul turns around and rebukes her. And the, and the evil spirit that allowed her to be a fortune teller was cast out of her. And she was miraculously set free, which is a great miracle in and of itself. But the issue was that the people that had their hands in her life, the people that owned her, so to speak, they loved the fact that she was an fortune teller because she made them lots of money. So they got upset when all of a sudden she couldn't do that anymore. And so they went and complained. Next thing you know, Paul and Silas are in jail for doing something that is good. And they were even beaten on the back, sit in the jail in chains. Now, if you spent any time in Sunday school growing up, you kind of know what happens next in this story. Here they are in the middle of the night, and they just begin to worship and praise God, even though they were bound by stocks and bonds in the middle of a prison with raw backs from having been beaten. I don't know about you, but how many of you think about worship in those moments? No. We have to work ourselves into worship in, in the church sometimes. But can you imagine being in that situation and right in the middle of the night, in the middle of this jail, they begin to worship God. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that where they were, the place was shaken. And that the doors in the prison swung open. The chains fell off. And right in the middle of that, picking up in Acts chapter 16, verse 20. 29 and 30, the jailer, he is freaking out. Because in their system, the jail was his responsibility. Everybody gets lost, he loses his life. Amen. Says, then he called for light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Well, the answer was pretty simple. Believe in Jesus. There wasn't a 12-step program he had to go through. It wasn't covered up with deeds or anything like that he had to do. But he asked the question that we all ask. What must I do? See, he certainly understood that there was a God because he had experienced what had just happened. He also knew that he was in a whole bunch of trouble he couldn't get out of. So he asked the question, what must I do? They replied, believe in the Lord. But what is this belief that they're talking about? It's more than just believing certain truths. It's more than something in our mind or our intellect. Because even demons believe that God exists. But we recognize, we recognize, we accept Jesus as our Savior, our Lord, the forgiver, the one that paid down 
laid down his life for us and we realize that we're, that we're sinners and we believe to the point of confessing our sins. As a matter of fact, there's, there's a little acronym that I tell people that getting saved is easy as ABC. Admit you're a sinner, believe that he is who he says he was, and confess him as your Lord and Savior. It's that simple. See, saving faith accepts that Jesus is done and his forgiveness and all that. It's done by Jesus Christ. It was done by him on the cross. It was bought and paid for. Salvation is a gift of God, and gifts by definition are free. You ever walk up to you and hand your gift? Here, I got this for you. Here's a gift that'll be $19.95. No, it is a gift. I can't, and I did not earn it. There's no way I can ever pay back what was done for me. I can't say, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What needed to be done is done. All I have to do is believe and accept the gift. Humbleness, thankfulness is the appropriate response. But sometimes we confuse it. Sometimes we think. Ran across a deal that I thought was pretty funny in a way, but pretty accurate in another. This man by the name of Henry Pinnock. He wrote a little, now I'm not a golfer, but apparently he wrote one of the best-selling sports books of all time. It's sold millions and millions of copies. And it's a little sports book on golf. What's so funny is the backstory on that book. In, 19, in the 1920s, Pinnock thought, I really like golf. And he was very proficient at it. So he literally just bought a little cheap spiral notebook. And just as he would play and hang around golfers, he would just make little observations that he'd write down in this little spiral notebook. And pretty soon he filled up the spiral notebook with all of his thoughts and concepts. And... This was in the 1920s that he began this. It wasn't until 1991 that he showed his spiral notebook to anybody. He finally one day showed it to his son. His son began to read through this and said, Dad, this is really good. So his son, on his behalf, approached Simon and Schuster and said, hey, I've got this. He had a friend that was a sports writer and said, I'd like for you to take a look at this and get your opinion of it. Next thing you know, they get contacted by Simon and Schuster to reach out to him. And, and so the son goes back to his dad with this exciting news. said, Dad, I took the liberty of showing your little spiral notebook to a friend who showed it to this publisher. And they have said that they will publish your book for $90,000. And his dad said, well, son, there's no way. I've got too many medical bills. There's no way I can come up with $90,000. He goes, no, you don't understand. They're going to give you an advance of $90,000 for the rights to publish your book. And you'll get royalties off of it after that. But the whole illustration of that is sometimes we mistakenly think that there's something we've got to do in order to be saved, we don't have to do anything but respond to what was done for us on the cross. We can't clean ourselves up enough. We can't prepare ourselves enough. 
It's all because of what he's done. It's not something we must do. He's already done the work. So don't buy the lie that your good deeds have anything to do with it. Or that there's anything you need to do first. The gift is free. But now that I've said that, let's move on to lie number two. Lie number two is that once saved, there's no good deeds required. Isn't it funny how that once we're saved and Satan is lost, his goal then shifts to making us ineffective believers. And maybe if he can convince us to just sit on the sidelines then, and not find any fulfillment, not only will be ineffective in spreading of the gospel, we may even backslide into some of our old habits. But let's look at Paul's very next statement. Ephesians 2.10, which is my main text for today. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works. I'm going to say that again. I guess you guys didn't get it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. The truth is we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. James puts it this way, James 2.26 for as, a, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Best way I know how to illustrate this. I don't know why I've got vacation stories in this message, but it's just what came together. So family went to Scotland. And they wanted to go out and see this site that they had to cross this lock, cross the lake. And so they found a guy that had this little business that had a rowboat that what he would do is for a fee, he would take row people out to where they wanted to go. So the family crawls in the boat and they start out across, headed towards where they were going to see the sights and and the, the father looks down and he noticed that on the two oars where there's one word engraved on each oar. One oar said faith. The other word says, the other oar said works. So the person was pretty intrigued. He's like, okay, this person must be a believer. So he asked, he said, I noticed that on your oars, you have faith and works on your two oars. What's, what's the deal? And the, and the guy that ran the little business said, well, it's real easy. Let me show you. So he reached over, he pulled up the, the oar that said works and laid it down and he put both hands on the oar that said faith and he began to row and row and row and the boat just went around in circles. And after a little bit he stopped and he put that oar down and he picked up the one that said works and he began to row and row and row with both hands on that side the boat went around in circles the other way. Finally he said watch this. You put a hand on faith and a hand on works and begin to dig into it. Next thing you know, they were flying across the lake towards the destination. 
He dropped it, looked at him, and said, that's why. See, let me, let me lay something out for you. I find it very interesting that the very enemy of our souls before we're saved wants to convince us that somehow we have to work, that there's something we must do to be saved, to get ourselves right. And the very next moment that we suddenly, we are saved and Christ comes in and changes our lives, then the enemy changes his strategy and says, oh, now that you're saved, there's no work involved. But see, faith without work, is dead. Before we save, we think somehow we got to work for it. After we save, we think just faith is enough. Please don't overanalyze what I'm saying. What I'm saying is Scripture makes it clear that we're supposed to have a hand on each one of them. Amen. See, we look for fulfillment in being served. We find fulfillment in service. See, the correct question we should be asking once salvation has come into our lives is, Lord, where do you want me to serve? Where's my place? You've given me the talents. There's nothing I have that you didn't provide for. Kind of like Kristen was talking about this morning, and we didn't even talk. Laying it all down on the altar and saying, Lord, it's all yours. Take what you want to use and show me what you've left me. Now, I'm not talking about we have to give everything up, but how many know that it's a heart attitude? It's an attitude of the heart. And once God has paid the price on the cross and we've asked Christ into our lives and we're walking that life, there should be some place that we take the very gifts and the things he's given us and we find that place to plug them in and begin to find that fulfillment. I am approaching uh, 27 years in full-time ministry. doesn't seem possible. But can I say this? And I'm not trying to say that I've got it all together because trust me, the Holy Spirit's constantly saying, okay, now it's time to work on this over here and work on that over there. I mean, it's a never-ending process until we get there. But for 27 years, my whole thing is, Lord, I'm not looking for a job in the ministry. I'm looking for a calling. And I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to get involved in anything if it's not where you want me to be. I have never, even when I felt the Lord was moving us from a place where we at, I did not send resumes everywhere seeing what would stick. I was like, Lord, lead me to where you want me to be. And the sad thing is, I am going to step on little toes here this morning. But the sad thing is that many people, once they get saved, we become, if we're not careful, Christian consumers. 
We're looking for where we will be served best instead of looking for where we can serve best. Because God has a place for you. The giftings that you have, he placed in you for a reason. He didn't say, oh, I got a little bit of leftover musical ability. I think I'll sprinkle that in this one. No, you, are, you were put together in the very formula he decided to use for you and the things that you have, the gifts that you have, they are there for a purpose and a reason. And many times there are gifts in you that you don't even know that you have because you've never stepped out to exercise them. And guess what? We serve a God that if, you, if he does call you to something and you are lacking in something, all he has to do is speak the word and you can do whatever. Think about this. When you look around, who are the believers that you see are the most fulfilled? The ones that are serving. The ones that find their place. See, when the time came for, to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, God raised up Moses. When it was time to enter the promised land, he raised up Joshua. When it was time to take down a giant, he raised up David. When it was time to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, he raised up Nehemiah. When it was time to get the gospel out to the Roman world, he raised up Paul. So what does does his kingdom need that you are just the servant to accomplish? Even though you are convinced you're not. Which leads me to lie number three, my final one. And that's simply this. God couldn't possibly be mean me. When we feel that call, when we feel that tugging, when we feel the past, when the pastor walks up to you and says, hey, have you ever considered, oh, he couldn't possibly be me. <laughs> a lot of you know, I tell the story that my calling in the ministry was a pastor standing there with a junior boy Sunday school book saying, I need somebody to teach this class. How about you? I don't know why I said yes that day. But it completely changed the direction of my life. It started me down a path. Who knows what fulfillment God has for you that all starts with somebody asking you because you're not looking. Hey, what about this role? Have you ever thought about doing this? Now think about this. Think about the list that I just read. Joshua, what was his resume? Oh, yeah, I was the guy that held up Moses' arm in the middle of a battle. I'm ready to lead a nation. That's probably part of this going, I don't know why he chose me. I was just standing there holding up his arm going, this is how I fight my battles. David, a little shepherd boy, considered the youngest one. I mean, when, when, when Samuel came along looking for the next king, he wasn't even brought into the picture. Yeah. 
Nehemiah. I mean, talk about who thought he would be the one that would go in and help rebuild a city and rebuild a wall when all he was was the cupbearer. I mean, talk about an expendable job. When your job is to take taste wine and stuff and make sure it wasn't poisoned before you hand it to the king, that means you're expendable, right? And God said, that's who I'm going to use to rebuild a city. Saul that became Paul, he was a religious bigot. He couldn't stand the Christians. So God made him one of the chief Christians. Which leads me back to Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For good works. If you think I'm off the mark this morning, that line says it all. See, we were created for service because we are his workmanship. Because when we give our life to Christ, we are created, we become a new creation, the Bible says. That's why it uses terms like born again, new creation, things like being baptized, laying down the dead, old, sinful person, and raising up the new person in Christ. Behold, all things become new. You know what the word created means? It means designed. It means that we were created, recreated with certain abilities and capabilities and a capacity to do the works that he's calling us to do, which is God, as he says, has already prepared in advance for us to do. You know why some of us maybe are lacking fulfillment in life? Because we haven't yet stepped into the things we were created to do that he prepared in advance for us to do. We're still running from those things. You know, you're unique for a reason. That quirky thing is like, God, why did you do that? He's got a place to use that. If you dare to think about doing something that he's made you to be, guess what? The enemy's like, oh, just keep doing nothing. You're not good enough. He couldn't really be talking about you. I'm going to close with this thought. Just this week, I was reading in the Bible, just my own reading time, and ran across the story of Gideon. I mean... The Midianites have been given the children of Israel fits for seven years. They couldn't grow anything. They couldn't do anything because anytime they made any headway, the Midianites would come in like this horde and devour everything like locusts, it says, and there'd be nothing left. And, and the situation was dire. It was all because the nation had turned once again, turned their backs on God and wasn't following him. And, and so Gideon one day, he just, I mean, he pulled together some grain and he's hiding in a wine press and he's just trying to pull together enough grain so he can feed his family something. And all of a sudden it says in Judges 6 verse 12, says the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. 
Now, if you're hiding from the enemy horde, trying to secretly, stealthily pull together enough food to feed your family, you're probably not feeling much like a mighty man of valor. But yet, that's what the angel called him. And later, as he began to complain and begin to say, Lord, if you're, if you're with us, if you're, if you're the God of this nation, why is this, this, and this happened? And, you know, there's a whole reasons why all that stuff happened. But he began to lay out his excuses and like, you know, where are you? Why aren't you doing something about it? And the angel's response was from God and said, am I not sending you? I love his excuses, though. Verse 15, so he said to him, oh, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least. In, I mean, my clan is the, least, is the least, and I'm the least in my clan, and my family is one of the lower families, and I'm the least in my family. What are you talking about? But he manned up and did what every single one of us would do. He doubted. He tested. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't get it. You're standing there looking at this angel that appeared and told you what you're going to do. And then you go back and say, Lord, if it's really you, make this fleece wet and the ground dry. Lord pulls it off. Lord, if it's really, really you, this time make the, make the ground wet and the fleece dry. How many know when he calls us to do something, we're just as bad? Lord, if it's really you, Lord, I can't be supposed to step into that. Lord, I'm the least. But we look for fulfillment in being served. We find fulfillment in service. Can I say this as a pastor? When I'm looking for somebody to step into a role and I'm praying about it, the person that shows up and says, oh yeah, I want to do that. I'm God's gift to this area. I'm like, well, that's not the person I want. I want the person that approaches it with a humble heart and a humble attitude that says, I don't feel worthy to do this, but I feel like God is calling me to step in this area. And if you will help me along the way and we'll pray through this thing, I'm ready to step in and see what you will do in my life. That's the person that I watch as God begins to transform them and change them and begins to work in their lives and raises them up. Every Sunday when Kristen's stands up here to do the do the transition I'm like go God because I remember when I first talked to her Matt about stepping into youth ministry it was had to convince them that Nate and Jeannie were going to carry it for a little bit and you just guys kind of be there and we'll just let this happen at its natural progression Did God have a plan or what? It's the same 
thing for every single one of us. If we will just take the steps that he's calling us to do and step into that role and let him begin to grow and develop. I don't know why I'm even saying this, but you can have conversations with Ed about the mistakes I made early on as pastoring this church. Just because you were there, that's the only reason I brought that up. See, we all have growing pains, but we learn, and he blesses, and we progress, and we grow into what he desires for us to be. So when God puts somebody into a position, he doesn't expect them to instantly be all that because they're going to learn things along the way by doing, and they will get better, and they will prosper, and he will bless, and they will grow, and that's part of the process. But the first step is we have to say, Lord, I'm willing to serve. I'm going to ask our ushers to come for a moment. Billy and them should be out there somewhere. If we have the worship team come as well. Now, I was really praying this week about how to do the altar call. And this is one of the strangest altar calls I have ever done. But if you would, we've got something we want to put in everybody's hand. Yes, now. Have you ever had an altar call sheet before? But I really was. This week I was like, Lord, how do I lay this out? How do we respond? And it had to be God because I never would have thought of this on my own. But they're going to lead us into worship. And here's my challenge. Be willing Say, Lord, what do you want to do in me? Where is a place that I can plug in? Begin to feel, fulfill what you made me to be. And so I simply took just a lot of opportunities in the church because I hear often from people well, I want to do something for the Lord, but I just don't know what. Well, so as they lead us into worship here for just a moment, I challenge everybody to pray. I just do something. But look at this form, I guess we'll call it. Fill it out. And just begin to check off some of the areas that you might be interested in. You're like, you know what? I could see myself doing that. And I know there's some of you that already serve in some places. But how many of you know that we've got people that serve in the nursery every week? I know they deserve a chance to be in service on occasion. We have people that serve in children's church every week. We could go down the list. 
I am thankful for the ownership that the Apple Gates have taken and the sound in the media, but they could use a break every now and then. There's all kinds of opportunities, areas you can plug in and say, you know what, I can do that once a month. I mean, if we get enough people doing that, we can all spend time getting fed ourselves. But God has a place have gifts so I challenge you instead of just saying no and pushing it aside ask him Lord where would you have me to serve now you're not going to get a call tomorrow and say oh you signed this we'll see you next Sunday in that role no but what we want is we want a a good feel for areas that you feel drawn to a little bit or that you're willing to help out. Be able to pull those together and begin to pray through that list. And as these different departments have different needs, we kind of know who kind of already feels that bend that way. And then we can walk up to them with that Sunday school book and say, Right? open. Be obedient. For those of you that are watching online, if you're part of the church and you just don't happen to be here today, it's okay. If you'll if you'll shoot us a message, we'll email, email you a copy of this. You can fill it out and send it back to us. But I believe it's high time the church begins to be the church. I realize we're in unprecedented times. But it's not like the church as a, as a whole hasn't felt met challenges before I think it's time as a people we get up and get ourselves involved and begin to get back about the business of changing the world and sometimes changing the world begins with that little child to help train them up in the way that they should go so when they're old they will not depart from it sometimes that means giving a cold cup of water in his name we've got outreach opportunities I was approached recently by a group that asked if we as a church would be willing to adopt Dobbs Elementary right over here. And the cool thing is, is they're corporate sponsors that want to pay for much of what it would cost to do that. All they want is a church to be the face that will touch the people, that will bless the teachers, they will distribute the backpacks, they will take them the Thanksgiving meals for the needy families in the in the school and things like that and my immediate response was yes so there's going to be opportunities there I mean right there, we're talking people that are a part of our, our neighborhood and all the areas around us, how could we say no but it's going to take bodies It's time for us to get up and get involved and be the church. Amen.